Welcome everyone. Aloha mai kako to Bombay we learn. Bombay, the Hawaiian pidgin English word for leader or some other time. On today's podcast, we have part two and the conclusion of my interview with my oldest brother, Derwin, as he shares his lessons learned from his days in working as an electrical design engineer to his role as a father. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's edition of Bombay We Learn with our special guest, Derwin Matos. Great. Kind of picking up a little bit where, where I was mentioning that you've been with Cypress Semiconductors for almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. As a lot of people, you know, it's college is going over. People are looking to start new careers. And as you started out, you know, with your EE coming out of Manoa mm-hmm. and looking for a place to start and seeing your path. And, you know, and it's funny because uh, my wife would do patent searches on inventions based on your name. It's like saying, hey, there's some, my brother-in-law over here has got some patents under his name. And that way she's guaranteed to get a hit. Because if you looked up <laughs> my name, you wouldn't get none. <laughs> but as you got your experiences, you go through your career and the lessons that you've learned to from where you started to where you are now, if you were to share somebody just starting out as an electrical engineering field or in, in the design field, what kind of advice would you be giving them? Hmm. I think the the biggest lesson I learned over the past, well, you, you told me just now how many years I've been doing it. <laughs> yeah, I looked you up on LinkedIn. Um, so if your LinkedIn profile is up to date, then you're all good. <laughs> well, we already know 1990, this is when it all started. It's 2020 right now. Yeah. 2021, if I look at my watch. So I think the biggest thing I learned was uh, just, 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 just uh, keep your ego in check. <laughs> as you're young you know you're very confident you can come in yeah i can do this and you know that this is this is too simple you know um you know why is this manager why is this guy a manager uh you know i can i can do this job and um yeah you can but uh at that moment maybe but the biggest lesson is it takes a team to to achieve anything that's fairly complex and the kind of work i do is takes a lot of people and everybody's pretty valuable in that whole chain where we come up with an idea, uh, the marketing team does to address a market and they talk to us as a design engineer. I can put some input to say what can, can, cannot be done, what's likely to be possible and, you know, we throw it around and then, uh, the idea gets put together. We write it down and then, and and then uh, as an engineer, now our problem turns, it turns over. And now we have to find out how we're going to implement it. And then we have to be paranoid to say, okay, what can go wrong? You know, but, you know, if, if we try to implement it and can the customer do this or that with it, can, can the thing get zapped, uh, you know, if someone touches it, if they put the wrong signals in um, to the chip, uh, if they heat it up or whatever. Uh, and, and then we, we make some parameters define them, write it down, and then we uh, use all the tools we have to simulate, design, and then we have to lay out, I, I call it layout, because uh, you actually have to transfer your design from uh, like a schematic world to uh, a physical world um, where transistors uh, get converted from 
uh, a representation on a screen to actually uh, silicon on a real piece of material that you find in your phones. Anyway, uh, so uh, and then after you make the design, uh, you lay it out. Uh, you it goes to fab. Ones I think now kind of more knowledgeable about how chips need to be fabricated. They come back, and we have to characterize them. We have to make sure we understand how uh, if they're doing the job that they were intended to do. So we go and we test them. And when I say we, it's not me. <laughs> and even the layout part of it is not me. <laughs> and the uh, all the testing, the characterization is done with uh, tons of engineers. Um, and they're experts at what they do, at packaging uh, the parts. And by packaging, I mean putting the little silicon square chips into other containers that can then be glued on to the <laughs> iPhone board, the little tiny board, or, you know, computer or whatever. And and then uh, once we're sure that the, the thing works, uh, then we can go and make millions and billions of them, you know, for three cents each or something like this. So you mentioned uh, the fact that it's not just you doing this. It's this huge team. Yeah. How do you come across all the different types of personalities that you're going to inter- interact with and making sure that everyone is working together? I mean, what type of tools and lessons came out of that? I mean, is it project manager buying everyone cookies, making sure everyone's being nice to each other? Or? Yeah, I think it's it, it's kind of just the way – I think over the years I've seen the whole interaction of how people work together change a little bit. In the beginning, I think people in general, my experience has been that people did have, you know, a little higher egos and you can tell. And as time has gone by, I think it's just shifted. Um, People are more, uh, in general, uh, that's my experience, polite. They know how the interactions go. They know why things are important. They're not doubting people when they're asking questions. And uh, there's a lot of respect going all the way around as far as I can see. And uh, I'm actually pleasantly surprised at how well the people are working together. And, yeah, it's it's just a – it makes working a joy. It's not something that um, you go in saying, you know, I hate doing this Mm -hmm. uh, because I hate working with this team or this person or whatever. It's never that. If I hate it, it's more because of bureaucracy (laughs) because we have to do – you know, some kind of little checklist and stuff like this to make things complete. But you see, a lot of our work has moved over to making sure we have the checklist complete so that people won't be so stressed. And the less stress they have, they know that your job uh, is to complete all the checks to make sure you don't make the second mistake, mm-hmm. <laughs> a mistake the second time. Right. And it relieves people of having to worry about things. And so uh, people depressurize, they take confidence in that they they have a job to do that they're the experts in their you know task uh, job and yeah it's just a uh, more pleasant all the way around so you talk about that checklist as you finish a project are you guys going through like this lessons learned and making sure what did work in the checklist what didn't work and making changes and everyone pretty much is learning from that so that the next time i mean you do see that Continual growth type yeah. of process. Yeah, we definitely do that. We we do that as part of a regular. So if we went through a 
a two pro a two year project or a six month project. At, at near the end of the project, we have what we call a post mortem. It doesn't sound very nice, but anyway, <laughs> this part's not dead because it's actually going out into the market making money. But uh, we go through and see, okay, what what did we learn? What could we what, what can we take forward to to help us do the next project a little bit better? Mm-hmm. And then going into the next project, we we do what we call a, the term is FMEA, but it's more of a risk analysis uh, to okay. to understand what can go wrong in the future. You know what can obviously go wrong. You know, oh, we're going to miss miss our schedule because we don't have enough people. You know, for instance, okay, um, uh, or. Uh, the voltage will get too high because we're not telling the the guy how this works, <laughs> something like this. You know, so on both directions we do this, and uh, this postmortem gives us. Yeah, I know that the checklist can get a little long. We, what we try to do is work the checklist items into our methods, so that we can drop them from the tre- checklist. So oh. our standard methods uh, become a way of working. So when you go and you simulate something. Uh, okay, we automatically do this all the time as standard as a matter of standard practice, and everyone's used to doing this or that task. Uh, when that becomes reality, then you don't have to put it on a checklist, right? Um, you know, to say, "Did you check this?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. Changing a little bit of the topics here, you mm-hmm. mentioned you're married now, and and you you know with kids. But one of the challenges I, I think that at least I've seen when I visit you, I hear it as well too. But your wife speaks Russian. Your house is mm-hmm. speak Russian. As somebody who at the time when you first didn't understand the language, what was some of the I guess challenges as you look at now yourself, things you're picking up. Uh, trying to be bilingual and the fun of being in that type of situation where, you know, you're going out with with her family and friends and everyone is is out chattering. You're sitting there like, okay, I know they're saying something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it's about me, but they all started laughing all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was kind of interesting. It was fun, uh, and it, yeah, and I still don't know Russian that well. Uh, I can pick up words. I know what people are talking about uh, to some degree. But if it gets any more complicated, you know, they lose me. There's two aspects to this. One is the the actual language. Uh, If it were strangers talking and I'd like to know what they're talking about, I really do want to learn the language. But there's this other aspect is is that to say that even if she, even if my wife spoke English, I might not be wanting to listen to what they're talking about anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So the communication barrier is more than just the language. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's say they're talking about, uh, oh, uh, some topic I'm totally not interested in. Um, Kardashian At the time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, some, some show. I don't know. Uh, or some drama thing like, oh, this person's going out with that person and, and, and junk like this. That, that I'm usually tend to not be interested in drama. So that's where it helps, actually. <laughs> it helps a lot. Uh, so you can actually claim, oh, sorry, I don't, I don't understand what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't hear about it. <laughs> but I, I did spend a year trying to learn uh, Russian. I was doing well. I could read. I could write. Uh, I had an excellent teacher. Uh, we used to go uh, to this uh, tutor in Palo Alto. 
Um, and we had a, our own little group of three people, a uh, couple of friends. And, um, and my work changed in 2012. So I, I figured, okay, now I have to focus on work and really get, get this going. And then I'll come back. I never came back, but you know, it would be kind of cool to go back to getting it to a part of my, uh, vernacular. So when you first met your wife, she already had a daughter and you got married. So now you, you know, beautiful children, your own. So you actually got to experience watching a teenager grow up and blossom, uh, going through, and uh, she's about to get married, right? Engaged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now as a father, you're seeing that, but you're also now having the experiences of, of watching your own children from, from being born all the way to the teenagers that they are now growing up. Mm-hmm. So as you look at those experiences, I mean, as a, as a father now, there are definitely things that you learn from dad. And now as you play the role as dad and you start looking at this and you have, you know, all the way from the, someone who's entering their adulthood and entering their lives and you still watching over it and educating and having these lessons learned for your young children. How do you look at the lessons that you picked up or sharing or things that you said, I'm going to do differently or I'm going to do the same as a father in your family? What are some of the things that you picked up on that you think will be advice for anyone who's starting out as a father today? Hmm. That's that's always a tough question. I always come back to the word humility. Uh, just like I was mentioning ego before, ego before mm-hmm. <laughs> lose your ego. I would say don't. Uh, message would be uh, don't get too caught up in it. Um, there is no recipe book for being a a good parent. The uh, best advice I can come up with is what is it? I'm drawing a blank, but uh, just remember that all the things that you learned um, can be. Uh, the valuable lessons that you've learned over your lifetime can be carried forward. And usually those messages are, uh, the ones that matter to you are positive. And although you can get frustrated along the way, things don't happen as fast as they could, as, as, as well as they could be. The underlying lessons that the children can learn from their parents is the kind of role model that you present uh, to them uh, goes a long way. You live your life like you like them to. You like to see them uh, the the way that they that you like to see them be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm getting across, but <laughs> okay, that's it. These are things like because your youngest Julia is now fourteen, uh, thirteen, thirteen. 13. Yeah. Wow. And as you start seeing them in their teenage years, but as you look at uh, both um, raising a son and a daughter, and like you said, in the family uh, life scenario, you actually saw how maybe your sisters were treated a little differently than brothers um, from the parents' side of the house. But mm. just your lesson as you look at raising both a boy and a girl and a household and as they're in this teenage era where they're very much seeing the influences that they had and they're developing their own personalities as they get into adulthood. What are some of the things that you feel either are challenging you or what you're afraid of or concerns that you may have as you look at, like you said, the rest of the world changing 
that you want to make sure they're ready for. No more are we having the open doors and the kids running out and playing until the sun goes down and then mom yelling, dinner time, everyone coming in. It's yeah. a little different than that now. As a parent is in this particular stage in your children's lives, what are things that you're looking out for, making sure that they're aware of and they're taking with them? Yeah, there's, there's so many challenges. I'm not sure it's unique uh, to this this time that we're in. The the whole technology thing has kind of changed humanity <laughs> in some way. Um, yeah, th- there's a few things. Uh, I'd like to to try to get the message that um, they can uh, they would need to be awake to take on life, to be present uh, where they are, pay attention. <laughs> Now that, you know, the kind of age that they're in, uh, it's one of the bigger messages to handle any teenager, I think. I don't think I'm the only parent going through this. <laughs> and just to remember that they're, just be aware that they're not the only people. The world is not centered around you. And, uh, you know, life can go really well, really bad for you. It's not going to change the world very much. But you can still impact the world in uh, some very magical ways and very exciting ways. And I just, I, I, I just hope that they, 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 they come out of this experience in their young twenties and thirties, being a little bit more aware of uh, than, than I was about how the world uh, is put together. Yeah, we used to say the island's small, everyone knew everyone. Now, with technology, the world is small, and everyone knows everyone gets work with everyone. Yeah. I thank you for your time today. I just want to give you an opportunity as we walk down memory lane <laughs> and, you know, to things that we've done in the past to today. Any other final parting thoughts that sh- or stories you want to share? I'm sure I have more. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe we can continue continue this at uh, another time. <laughs> yeah, great. But it's been great. Uh, thank you so much for um, uh, giving me this opportunity. It's kind of neat to be here with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Mahalo, Duran. It has been neat getting a chance to talk to you on our podcast as you share your manal, your thoughts, so that Bombay we learn from your experiences. This concludes our podcast for today, and. I know you have options on where you spend your time. I am most blessed and humbled by the fact that you shared some of your precious moments with us today, letting my brother and myself share our mana'o and thoughts with you so that Bombay We Learn. Bombay We Learned is a weekly podcast with your humble host, Harlan Matos, an independent certified coach, trainer, and speaker with the John Maxwell team. Please visit us at matosconsulting.com for more information on our services. Mahalo. And mahalo to John Bartman for performance of Just Having a Beatbox.